Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History with a Hemingway. Today we're talking about the Canal Saint-Martin, and Claudine's going to tell us all about it. Yeah, the, you know, this This is not an area that I spend a lot of time in. How about you? I actually spent a lot of time there because it's not far from me. Oh. There's lots of picnicking and fun bars along the canal. So it's not far from me. It's a lot closer, I think, from to Montmartre. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, a, you know, it's a, a lot of people call it the trendy part, you know, and uh, and it's a, it definitely is a, you know, we'll explain some of the history of that and why that kind of is. But um, it is definitely more of the trendier part. I have a lot of uh, clients that, you know, are going to Paris and they want to stay there and it isn't exactly close to the city center. So if you're going to Paris and you want to like walk everywhere, you know, it's usually not the best location, but if you've been to Paris a few times and you want to stay there, it's easy to cap on the Metro and get anywhere you need to go. Exactly. And it's, yeah. like you said, it's very young and fun. Um, so it's a great yeah. place to discover. It is. So we'll start today's walk um, really close to the Gare de l'Est, which is the train station that's really close. It's only like a couple blocks away from the canal. Um, and there is a church there, the Église Saint-Laurent, and it's at 68 Boulevard de Magenta. And it is in the, it's right there, just like if you're standing out in front of the church and you look to your left, you'll see the Gare de l'Est. Um, this was once the north-south access road that was for the Roman road going back to the first century. Wow. So it's pretty old. Um, it served also as part of the pilgrimage road that people would take that would be following the Saint-Denis route um, when they would start in Paris and then head up through Saint-Denis. They would walk right past here and, and past this church. Um, a church that's, that stood here on this spot, um, the original one dedicated to Saint Laurent, went back to the 6th century. So that is, you know, much closer to the time of uh, Saint Denis. Um, the first, was, first church was destroyed by the Normans in 885. And then the next church was built in 1180, but it was too small. And so it led to the current church that you see if you go here, but that was built in 1429. 1420. Which is, wow. Which that, you know, it just, it always still, you know, when well, the first time that I was really going to Paris and meeting a lot of French people and they would say, you know, oh, America, it's just so young. And you don't really think about that until you are out of it. Um, because then you think of like this thing based to 1429 and in America, when something's built in the 1800s, it's like, that's really old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and here it's like 1429. It's like a drop of the bucket. Mm -hmm. um, but it was has an Italian Gothic facade, um, a lot like Saint, um, Elizabeth de Honoré, which is another church that's over in the Haute Marais. Um, under Houseman, when the boulevard, um, the streets right out here were were created, the intersection, the facade of the church was destroyed. And so the facade was recreated in the 19th century in 1863 with this Gothic, flamboyant Gothic facade and then it now has a fancy spire on the top um it's a very reminiscent of the one that we had on notre dame that's getting it's already under construction now to be replaced but this um it was really great the first time i went there and i really wanted to see the spire of course it was covered in scaffolding and you could not see it at all <laughs> 
<laughs> which seems to be my luck when I wait to go, like I'd like have these things on the list of like, okay, now I got to go to this, you know, church that's in the middle of nowhere and look at this. And then I get there and the entire in- interior is, is scaffolding. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> we'll come back in a couple of years. <laughs> nice try. Yeah, nice try. Um, but in 1768, Jean Bicot married Guillaume uh, de Barry. So it, that was uh, Guillaume de B- uh, Barry. If you remember when we did the podcast a year or so ago about Madame de Barry, she was, um, she ended up, her original name was Jean Bicot, and she ended up marrying this Guillaume de Barry um, just so she could actually be able to attend court of Louis the 15th because she was basically a prostitute and, you know, you couldn't be mingling around the King. And so he had to find somebody that would just like marry her off. Um, so she could get that title. So it would be okay um, that she would be in there, of course. which is, you know, I, I mean, it's probably not that much different than some things today. Yeah. <laughs> no lie. I mean, when you look at some people, like some members of society, you know, like some billionaires not can't just marry, you know, some, some girl from the other side of the tracks <laughs> and keep it in the hierarchy of social class. Yeah. I gotta, yeah. I gotta keep it in that, you know, in that blood. Um, but this is also the formal burial site of the Sanson family. And you, most people probably don't know the Sanson family, but you definitely know what they did uh, because the family business of the Sansons, including um, Charles Henri was that they were ex- executioners. Mm-hmm. And Charles Henri was the one who dropped the blade on over 2,500 people, including Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. Oh, that's horrible. So it was like their whole family. Like he did it, his father did it, his grandfather did it. Like I just don't know if that's the family business you want to like pass down. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's yeah definitely not that's not something i want to keep yeah yeah it's kind of gross but between the church um there is a garden the jardin Villema. that was where there was a convent of the recolets was it was made up in the 15th century franciscan order a monastery was first there in january of 1604 and and enlarged by marie de medici in august 1614 and survived just until the revolution in 1790 and in 1802 became the hospice of the incurable men and eventually the St. Martin military hospital that served many of the victims of the Prussian War and even World War I. Um, during World War I, the Big Bertha dropped a huge shell on the on the uh, monastery and, the, and it struck the church and almost destroyed it. Yikes. Yeah, which I can't, I mean, I can't even imagine being, you know, it there when you're just waiting for a bomb to come dropping out of the sky. Um, but if you walk down there, there's a former entrance to the hospital that was there. The 18th century building remains on the edge of the garden, but it's now an artist atelier. So I'm sure you probably have had somebody on the podcast that maybe even works out of there. Um, I don't think it's open to the public. I was doing some research, but we should figure out a way to sneak in there. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, but the ho- well, the hospital was there. It stretched out. It was named for um, the doctor Jean Antoine Villemin, who was also worked treating men coming back from to Paris that were wounded in other conflicts and wars. The the garden that's right there was just a really lovely garden. It's pretty good size too. It was created in 1977 and ex- was expanded over time to be twice the size, which is what it is today. 
There is a cast iron uh, water fountain in there, which is kind of the coolest thing in the whole garden. It was commissioned under um, an 1846 order to add more fountains to the city and two dozen species of the um, uh, were done all over the Rue de Faubourg Saint-Martin, um, which is where this one once lived in until 1977, then was moved into the garden. Um, Marie-Auguste Martin designed the Neo-Baroque uh, Beauty and the child on top of it, it's really, really cool. It doesn't have water running through it anymore, but it's pretty huge and it's cast iron. So it's like the Wallace Fountains, that material. Um, there's two children on the top of it with um, dolphins. And if you look closely, there's these cute, tiny little turtles on it. Um, and just above that is a signature of the artist. Um, this These actually predate the Wallace Fountains. So they're older than the Wallace Fountains. And they used to just sit on the Rufarbog um, Saint Martin, just there, you know, just like kind of some of the Wallace Fountains are. But luckily they moved it in here because it's kind of an absolute work of art. It's really cool. I need to see that. We need to sneak in. I, I'm surprised you haven't done any photo shoots over there in maybe, that little garden. Maybe I have and I just forgotten. <laughs> yeah. So the whole area of the Canal Saint-Martin um, is because it is a canal and it goes through the city. Um, it was it was made up of nine locks and foot and traffic bridges that cross over them. Um, and so it actually has the locks that, you know, they open and close. Um, you go up down the, uh, the Quai de Jemop and it follows a canal where you'll find the Hotel du Nord, which is right there. And the Hotel du Nord, this to me, I think is the coolest thing on the entire Canal Saint-Martin. Um, and I remember doing, going here years ago with this Frenchman took me around there and he told me about this and I was like, the what, what movie, what are you talking about? And then I had to, of course, look into it. Um, the Hotel du Nord, it was built in 1912. It was purchased by, uh, Emile and Louis Davy in 1923. Their son, Eugène, lived there and worked there at nights and was taking notes of the people that were coming in to stay in the hotel. Um, Eugène um, was a very accomplished painter, but he started to write and even displayed um, his art at the Salon des Independents in 1927 and 1928. But in 1929, he wrote The Hotel du Nord. The story centered around a young couple that came to stay at the hotel with a pact of a double homicide or double suicide <laughs> instead. Um, things go awry and a prostitute and a pimp become involved in it. And in 1938, it was moved and made into a movie by Marcel Carme. Wow, that's intense. Yeah, but that's not even the cool, that coolest part. So the book was very popular, it even won a populous prize and of course became a very well-received and still beloved movie that's actually the creation of a movie that makes the hotel itself so popular. So this, the way that they did this too was really cool. When Carme made it, they decided not to film a single shot there on the canal, but they actually recreated the entire life-size version of the area, including the canal and all the buildings and even digging in the exact size trench to fill the water and also the cast iron bridge. That's and they did this in a film, a film studio outside of Paris. The building was seven feet deep and sadly nothing remains, but because of the novelty at the time, it drew people to the canal to see the real deal. So nobody was going there because at this point, nothing was, is very industrial. It's not what you see today and all the little shops and cafes and stuff. That's, that's kind of only in the last, you know, two decades. But back then everybody saw this movie. And then because it was an exact recreation, they wanted to go to the actual Canal Saint-Martin and to the Hotel Nord to see it themselves. I'm really surprised they did that much work when they could have just like used the Canal Saint-Martin. I guess it was too difficult to film there. 
Well, yeah. And especially, I mean, then, I mean, like if you do that now, you know, there's so many permits and costs and it's expensive and everything that goes into it, but to recreate the whole entire thing. And like, if you talk to French people of any age, they know this movie. Wow. Have you watched Which is like, yeah. And it's, you know, I could, um, I'll look it up and I'll link it on my website because, um, I actually saw it, uh, actually, like I found it just Googling it online and you can watch the whole thing online. So I'll put a link to it on my, um, at cloudyhemingway.com under the show notes. And so you can watch it yourself. Cause I watched it about, about a month ago. So I'm sure hopefully it still works. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. But in 1970, the building was in such bad state that it was going to be demolished and the French were up in arms and demanded it had to be saved. So in 1989, it was classified as a historic facade and the building was rebuilt and the re- the facade was recreated, recreated to the exact specifics. Hmm. So it's, it's really cool that it was, you know, it was a movie that had kind of nothing really to do with the actual location other than that's what it was, um, that it ended up saving it. That's really crazy. I want to see that movie because yeah, the canal is, it's definitely not what it was back then. Like you said, it was much more industrial. Now it's like a total hangout bar area. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in Amelie, you know, Amelie, there's a scene in Amelie where she's skipping rocks up on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where, you know, you see some of that. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's only a matter of time before. Well, she probably won't. Emily in Paris probably won't go over there. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe in a future season, she'll, you know, slum it on over to Canal Saint Martin. <laughs> <laughs> season three. Yeah, but the canal itself was created first under Napoleon Bonaparte in 1802. And it was finished in 1825. It was needed to bring water to the city to help ward off of the disease and also for the boats to bring the important things like wine and cheese to the city. It was all paid for by taxes at the time on wine. What? So you could see how much how much wine, you know, and taxes they they have because they could build an entire uh, entire uh, canal. But, you know, sometimes they try to crack down and say no drinking wine on, you know, outside along, especially during COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, they got really mad when everybody stayed outside, but then everybody was sitting out along the Seine and the canal drinking wine. And they tried to outlaw that because obviously you had big groups of people. But I think it should be okay for the canal because that wine actually paid for it. Exactly. It's not fair. <laughs> I know it's kind of, it's like the Wallace fountains, you know, it was this time water wine turned into water and same thing with the Wallace fountains. You know, he was trying to get rid of drunkenness. And so he created these fountains for water. (laughs) It's our right to drink along the canal. It is. It It should be a right. It should be, they should have their own wine. They should have their own label. That's a great idea. But that sounds kind of great. Canal (laughs) Semartin. I don't know if I'd want to drink wine. Because they even think maybe it was using the water. Uh, but at the time, the area was lined with industrial warehouses and not as many residents. In 1860, part of it was covered and also transformed under Baron Hausman. The canal ends at the Arsenal and eventually into the Seine. It can be da- traveled daily on a tourist bus. Have you ever done that? Or a boat, sorry. Uh, I haven't done the canal. Have done no. I've rented There's, We should do that. Because... Yeah. Yeah, I've rented oh, the electric cool. boats. There's... That's super fun, but I've never done like the big boat tour through the locks and all that. But the electric boats are cool. Yeah, because there's even ones you could get and have for like a dozen people or something. They can get really big ones. I usually always do it in the summer, and you can bring food and wine on the boat. It's super fun. Yeah, yeah, that seems really fun. The the I'm just also kind of obsessed with the whole canal because my grandparents did the Canal du Midi um, back in like I think it was in the 80s. 
And that was the one where you take it and you're just traveling down the water all the way to Carcassonne. Um, and I have all these really fantastic p- pictures. My grandparents did it with another couple. And, you know, my grandpa just, he loved stopping because you'd have to stop and, you know, somebody would have to come out and, and, you know, open the lock and do all the things. And they'd go stop at the little towns to get bread and cheese. And um, mm-hmm. I just, I would, I really want to do that someday. I just, and maybe I'll start at the Canal San Martin. <laughs> yeah, I was say that's a good place to start. I wonder, they still do that, but yeah. like, go all the way to Carcassonne. Oh, yeah, there's a couple of them that go through France. I think there's two or three different um, canals that you could do through France. That's fun. Yeah, it's really cool. My, I have some really great pictures my grandparents took. Uh, so that's definitely one of those things I would love to go do because they did that. So maybe we'll have to get a couple people. Because I think you have to, like, sometimes, like, the little boat guy has to, you know, the bridge guy has to come and do it all. Yeah. But I think some of it you have to do yourself. Oh, so wow. we're going to need Giuseppe. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we need strong arms. We need just, yeah, we need Giuseppe to do all the manual stuff for us. <laughs> um, but in 2016, there was a long four month project. And I, you might remember this, that uh, they decided to clean the canal and they do this every like 10 or 15 years. And they actually emptied the entire canal, which is something you could do because it is a lock system. You can't do that, you know, on the Seine. Uh, but they actually emptied the water and they cleaned it out. And in there, they found like bikes, so many bikes, hundreds and hundreds of wine bottles, chairs. They found tables. They found the most strange things just down there underneath um, on the on the on the bottom of the canal. And they find a dead horse. And I think so. Yeah. And I mean, there's also the story of they say that there's like a crocodile that lives there. Um, if you know, Oliver G has a thing saying there's a crocodile that lives there. You know, he talked to a woman that said she saw it, but. Um, I don't know if anybody else has seen it, but it's a fun story to think, you know, that I don't, I don't know how much I'd want to be sitting by the edge of it if there was a crocodile, <laughs> <laughs> but a walk along the canal in the spring or the summer is a great time to go uh, because it's just, everybody is lined up there um, hanging out and, you know, just watching uh, the day pass, especially when we have those late days, which is not what we have right now. Um, you keep walking down. If you walk down the whole way, um, there is the square Frederick Lemire, um, who was once a French actor. He was popular, um, during the 18th century at the Avenue de Crime, which was a, a well, we should do one about that because that was a really interesting, um, it was this whole line of uh, a street lined with theaters and they called it the Avenue of Crime because the theaters had these plays. It wasn't about you're going to go there and get pickpocketed. It was because these plays were there showing, you know, they had, plays about crime and all these other things. Um, and so it was kind of an interesting, um, inter- really interesting place to be at that time. But a lot of those theaters are now gone. It's like true crime podcast before podcasts. I know. Well, we're going to have some of those, some true French, true crime things coming up that we're excited mm-hmm. about. Um, but if you go, keep going down the cross the Avenue de Faubourg de Temple, it is a marker indicates the victims of the horrible November 13th, 2015 terrorist attack, because that is where uh, that happened. And just recently, there's been two more things um, just in this last week that we're recording this that has happened in that area. But thankfully, one of them was uh, stopped before anything could happen. Um, but just past the marker of that horrible event is a life-size statue of a young lady. Um, and it's she's known as La Grisette. Um, and it's done by Jean-Bernard Descamps, who was in, she, he created this in 1911, and it's named for and dedicated to the girls that worked in the nearby Mondrette. And if you remember from our favorite ones we do about our uh, fancy prostitutes, the courtesans, there's all different levels. So there was the grisettes, the lorettes, 
the grisette was kind of the bottom of the barrel of the in terms of the prostitutes because and they were called grisette because they wore these gray dresses and they worked in the laundry um, the shops and so that's where they got the name grisette so this is kind of um, dedicated to those girls um, and so they were these, low, you know, lower level young girls that, you know, basically supplemented their income uh, with sexual favors. Um, but uh, the dresses that they wore were gray. And so that's why they were called that. But she looks really sad um, and lost at the end of the uh, Square Jules Ferry. Um, but it is interesting that it is. I think that's probably a memorial more to the what they did as far as working in a laundry than them being a low level prostitutes. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But Jules Ferry was the mayor of Paris for a very short time after they ousted Napoleon III. He was a fierce opponent of the emperor, and he constantly had a target on his back and was killed two or three times, almost killed two or three times, um, depending on uh, which which stories you want to uh, believe. But there is a large monument of him as well at the end of the Jardin de Tuileries. It's right there on that lower part at the end, um, looking at the Pavillon de Marsan. Um, down below on the Rue de Rivoli side, there's this huge monument that's dedicated to him, and he was only a... Uh, a mayor of Paris for a short period of time. But at the end of the street, you could also see another um, reminder of that November 2015 uh, terrorist attack, but we could see the Batacon. Um, it is there just across from the square uh, May Picari. It was named in 1920. And the square was from Marie-Jean Picari, who was born in 1898 and created the anarchist trade unionism paper, uh, Le Red Droite. It was published from 1974 until his death in 1983. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Batacon last year was saying that it was for sale. So I don't, I haven't seen anything if it was sold or anything like that. Um, but hopefully if somebody does buy it, you know, they keep, they don't take it down, but I don't know, maybe some of the, maybe some of the people that families that were a part of that would like to see it gone or they leave it up as a, a reminder. Uh, but it is a really cool concert hall. My friends, the Dandy Warhol said that they had performed there a couple of times and it was one of their favorite places to ever play. Um, but it does have, you know, a pretty haunting, sad reminder there, of course. Yeah. I imagine it'd be hard to keep it open considering everything. Yeah, it is. And they just had, you know, it was just back in, I think, June or July that the trial ended um, for the lone uh, terrorist that survived that entire thing. And of course, he got life in prison, which is the strongest um, sentence they will hand down in France because they don't have the death penalty. Um, And life in prison is one they very rarely do. So I think that was kind of a, a no brainer. Mm-hmm. That he was going, hopefully, was that was going to hopefully, you know, he'd see the end of his time in prison. Yeah. But right here, we end at the Eglise Saint Ambrose. It's a lovely neo um, everything church. It's got a little, it's got neo Gothic, uh, Romanesque, uh, Byzantine church. It's a feast for the eyes. It's very, very tall bell towers are equal to the size of the Grand Notre Dame de Paris. And under the porch above the doors, the allegories of eloquence and theology surround Saint Ambrose. And inside, there's a fantastic stained glass window with murals of the life of Saint Augustin, which, of course, there's the Saint Augustin Church over in the 8th um, that's not very far from the Madeleine, which is also great. Um, but there's just so many, you know, a lot of people, especially when you come to Paris and for the first time, you know, you, you, you know, and most people are there, you know, four, five, seven days. And you have a big list of things, of course, you want to see. So 
definitely if you come to Paris and you've been there a couple of times, definitely head over to this area because there's some really lovely churches. There's some really great little stores um, and cafes and in that area in the tents. I mean, a lot of the cool, trendy um, restaurants are popping up in that area, but trendy, but also fantastic. Like, because it is a little cheaper to be in the 10th as opposed to like the, you know, the fifth or the sixth or the second. So, you know, it's, but it won't, it, it will now get more expensive because of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it isn't really, you know, there's a lot of really cool things to see there. It's fun just to walk up and down. Um, and then there's a other, the, uh, is it the La Villette? That's, that's kind of the other waterway that kind of ends up at the top that you can walk down as well. And there's like a theater that's there. Um, there's theaters on both sides. There's a hotel that's right there on the water. Um, so there's quite, there's a lot to go and see. And it's definitely like, you know, your second or third visit to Paris, go, you know, venture out a little farther and check some stuff out. Yeah. And definitely if you come in the center in the summer, uh, just rent one of the electric boats, you can rent them online. I do say you should book in advance. You can book on the website and, um, it's really fun. It's something different to do. And Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you check out Claudine's website, ClaudineHemingway.com, and tune in next week. Thanks for listening today, guys. If you're interested in learning more about Claudine, her tours, history, and the beautiful photographs that she posts all over Instagram, tune into her website, ClaudineHemingway.com.